Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, September 21st. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. A fierce showdown emerges on Capitol Hill over filling Justice Ginsburg's seat as a nation mourns the loss of an icon. All eyes now on Republican senators for clues on whether they'll support a nomination. The U.S. reaching a grim milestone, nearly 200,000 deaths from COVID-19, all lost in the last seven months as the country braces for a possible surge in the winter. And Tropical Storm Beta expected to lash the Gulf of Mexico in the next 24 hours, the latest in a record-breaking storm season. U News starts now. With just 43 days now until the election, the fight to fill Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Supreme Court seats is already underway, a decision that could impact the Supreme Court for generations. Hundreds of protesters gathering outside of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's home in Kentucky outraged over his vow that President Trump's nominee will get a vote. A Supreme Court fight brewing on Capitol Hill. Just hours after Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died on Friday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell vowing President Trump's nominee to replace her will get a vote in the Senate. It will be a woman, a very talented, very brilliant woman. Some of the more notable female members of Trump's list of potential nominees include Amy Coney Barrett, a favorite of social conservatives, Barbara Lagoa and Allison Jones Rushing. Senate Republicans argue it is their constitutional duty to fill the vacant seat. I believe the right thing to do is for the Senate to take up this nomination and to confirm the nominee before election day. However, Republicans led by McConnell refused to give President Barack Obama's Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland a vote, despite the nomination coming nearly eight months before the 2016 election. And also in 2016, Senator Lindsey Graham, who now chairs the Judiciary Committee, highlighted the new precedent. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, whoever it might be, make that nomination. And he repeated this in 2018. If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term and the primary process is started, we'll wait to the next election. You're on the record. Yeah. All right. Hold the tape. But now the South Carolina Republican says he supports taking up a Supreme Court nomination before the November 3rd election, causing an uproar. We have another speaker here. Overnight, protesters gathered outside of his D.C. home. A new Reuters Ipsos poll released on Sunday found that 62 percent of American adults agreed the vacancy should be filled by the winner of the November 3rd matchup between Trump and Joe Biden, while 23 percent disagreed and the rest said they were not sure. Currently, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell can only afford to lose three Republican votes to confirm a nomination. President Trump says he is likely to name his Supreme Court nominee on Friday or Saturday. 
Democrats are also considering legislation to expand the U.S. Supreme Court if Republicans confirm President Trump's pick for the bench. Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin told CNN party leaders are keeping their options open. Passing such a bill would require Democrats to take control of the Senate and White House. It would also mean gutting the filibuster in order to pass such a bill with a simple majority. An expansion would allow the appointment of one or more liberal justices to the court. The U.S. Supreme Court is honoring the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Black wool crepe adorns her chair and the bench in front of where she sat. The fabric is also hanging above the courtroom doors. The court's press office says the tradition of draping fabric for justices who have died goes back to at least 1873. Meanwhile, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden slammed President Trump and leading Senate Republicans for trying to rush a replacement for Justice Ginsburg. Also today, new details emerging on who's on President Trump's shortlist to fill that seat. Among them, a Latina. Edwin Piti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Andrea, before we get into the bottle to see who is going to replace Justice Ginsburg, I would like to show you a little bit of the situation right outside the Supreme Court here in Washington, D.C., where thousands of people have even traveled to the nation's capital to pay their tribute to Justice Ginsburg. A lot of people dropping off flowers, candles, a lot of messages, even a lot of moms bringing their daughters as a way to pay tribute to the legacy of Justice Ginsburg. But like you were saying, um, former Vice President Joe Biden and also Democrats in Congress do not agree with the way President Trump and the leadership of Republicans in the Senate are fighting to move forward a new justice for the Supreme Court because they say that they should wait until after the election. But right now, we do know that the list of President Trump is pretty narrow. It's only four people there, but the two that are getting more attention right now are Amy Coney Barrett. I can tell you that she's a 48-year-old federal judge of the 7th District Court of Appeals. She was a assistant to the late Justice Anthony Scalia. She's a Catholic, has seven children, and she's against abortion. Also, another person that is getting a lot of attention is Barbara Lagoa. She was the first Hispanic judge to be part of the Supreme Court in the state of Florida. She has three children. She was, um, she's a 52-year-old, and also she was part of the legal team of the family of Elian Gonzalez. She's a Cuban-America. Now, talking about the situation inside the Senate, Republicans need 51 votes to approve the nomination of President Donald Trump that he said it will uh, be announced between Friday and Saturday. But right now, two Republican senators have said that they are not going to support any nomination before the election. One of them is Senator from Alabama, Lisa Murkowski, and also Senator from Maine, Susan Collins. If Republicans, two more of them, come forward and say that they are not going to agree with this, that would be the end of the nomination for President Donald Trump unless he wins the election in November so they can move forward with that right now. That's my report live from the Supreme Court. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin. Excellent reporting there from Washington, D.C. And joining us now is Charles Zeldin. He's a political science professor at Nova Southeastern University. Thanks so much for joining us once again right here on U News, Professor. Welcome. So we've Glad already seen President Trump and also many key Republican members of Congress express their intention to replace Justice Ginsburg as soon as possible. 
Are there any legal or procedural obstacles that can stop this process from moving forward? No, actually, the president has every right to name a replacement and Congress normally takes it up. Uh, the biggest obstacle is time. The average length of a of a uh, to fill a Supreme Court seat is something on the order of 70 to 80 days. Uh, we've got about what 43 days until the election. Uh, so to fill it before the election would be a, a, a real rush. And it's a question of, of vetting. It's a question of the time involved in holding hearings. Uh, it may simply not be possible timing wise to hold it until after the vote, until after the election. At which point, if the Democrat wins the presidency, there's a lot of pressure to not support this candidate. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Politically, how does this vacancy impact the 2020 presidential campaign with the election, like you said, less than two months away, 43 days? Well, uh, the biggest thing is, is it's going to be another shot of adrenaline, as if we needed it, in the electoral process. I, I think what will happen is it will be a reason for more people to vote. Uh, in 2016, the court and, and filling the court seat was a big, big accelerator in support for uh, President Trump. Uh, I don't think that will necessarily be the case in, in, in this situation. I think there will be people who will choose to vote for Trump because of this, but I suspect there'll be more people more motivated to vote on the Democratic side, um, uh, largely because of who is being replaced. Uh, we have to keep in mind that that Justice Ginsburg was not just a justice, she was an icon of, of, uh, of American, uh, of, 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 a, of a new America, of, of America that changed throughout her life and that she had a large part in changing. And uh, one of the key voting elements in this election is going to be women. And she's an icon to many, if not most, American women. She was indeed. Now, if President Trump does succeed in replacing Justice Ginsburg with a conservative justice, then the court becomes even more conservative from leading five to four to six to three. Would that shift put any major legal issues of the day into play? Yes, right away. A week, literally a week after the election, the Supreme Court is hearing an argument on the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the argument is that when they took away the mandate that you had to pay, join up or pay a tax, when that was done away with, with uh, the, the tax plan that uh, President Trump had passed, um, that it invalidated the whole of the, uh, of the ACA. If the court rules in that direction, automatically millions will lose their health care. Children under the age of 26 will no longer be able to be on their parents' uh, insurance. And the whole point about pre-existing conditions, uh, the protections that that can't be used to held against you, will also go away. So real big issue. Longer term, it's about abortion. Longer term, it's, it's, it's definitely the biggest issue will be the future of Roe v. Wade and the right of a woman to choose an abortion in this country.
And I'm sure all this is going to be on the minds of voters on November 3rd. Now, lastly, knowing that Supreme Court appointments are lifetime appointments, what options do Democrats have if Trump and McConnell are successful in seating a third justice this term? If they shove through a, 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 a new justice and the general take is that this was illegitimate, that this was done as a power grab, this was done because they feared that they were going to lose power, or if it's done after the election and, and Joe Biden wins, that it's done to take away this seat from the new victor. Uh, it gives power, uh, it gives, it gives uh, support to the Democrats to do a few things that they've been thinking about already. One is ending the filibuster in the Senate, the other is to reshape the size of the Supreme Court. The thing to understand is that nine justices is the norm because we've kept it that way. But in the first 80 years of the Supreme Court, they kept on changing the size of the Supreme Court on a regular basis. So I, there's nothing that says that Congress can't, and in fact, it has the authority to do, to change the size of the, of the Supreme Court which would allow for appointments to rebalance the uh, Supreme Court. Um, it's hard to do politically, but if, if this is forced through, I think the Democrats will feel that they have the political support to, to make this counteraction and, uh, and, and change the nature of the Supreme Court. Well, thank you so much for your time. Charles Zeldin, political science professor at Nova Southeastern University. Thanks for joining us on the show. Take care. My pleasure. And now let's go to the latest on the coronavirus pandemic. Cases heading the wrong direction as experts fear what might happen during the fall and winter. This as the CDC makes changes to its guidance on testing as the president continues to promise a vaccine soon. Lorraine Gassides has the latest developments. The number of coronavirus infections nationwide rising again to almost 40,000 on Sunday, a possible early indication that cases could soon be moving in the wrong direction. Since mid to late July, the overall seven-day average nationwide was on the decline, but in recent days it has ticked upward along with the seven-day average of new deaths, a trend that's being registered in every region of the country. Meanwhile, the president standing firm on his promise, contradicting the director of the CDC again on Friday, saying a vaccine will be available for all Americans by April. We'll have manufactured at least 100 million vaccine doses before the end of the year, and likely much more than that. Hundreds of millions of doses will be available every month. BioNTech and Pfizer, one of the vaccine developers, announcing they are going to, quote, adapt their trials and apply for approval by the end of October. This, as a new ABC Ipsos poll, shows 69% of Americans don't have confidence in the president's vouching for a vaccine. There are actually a lot of people who really trust science, but are concerned that there is political pressure that's driving the approval process. As the country grapples with the ongoing pandemic at the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, more than 100,000 people showing up for a bike fest. No masks in sight. You could ask every biker or whatever, anything going on in the world, it ain't going to stop us riding. 
And now in a confusing back and forth after saying on Friday on their website, the CDC saying that the virus is in fact airborne, something that scientists have been saying for a while. The CDC today, just moments ago, reversing on that saying a draft version of proposed changes to these recommendations was posted in error to the agent's official website. Now, on another important note, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington is saying that by January 1st, 378,000 Americans are expected to die due to COVID-19, a number reversed down for 415,000 previously predicted. Back to you, Andrea. Wow, scary to hear those numbers. Thanks so much, Lorraine, for that report. Meanwhile, the U.S. is reaching a grim milestone, nearly 200,000 deaths from COVID-19, all lost in the last seven months. The virus targeting victims of all ages, genders and races and disproportionately targeting Latinos. Fabiola Galindo has the details. A prediction that was unimaginable is now being exceeded. The country is mourning 200,000 COVID deaths, according to the Johns Hopkins tracker, almost a month before it was expected back in March. Other people who died at home didn't get tested, and that is why we believe the official tally is undercounting, says this doctor. Behind the numbers are the families. I asked God to give him another chance, says Susie Piscoya. Her father died seven days ago after two months of battling the coronavirus at a Miami hospital. The nurse told me that my dad will die within one hour. Most of my family spoke to him. He could only hear us, and at 3 a.m. he died. A surge of new infections is expected during the fall and the winter. Especially at family gatherings, says the doctor, when people relax precautions, thinking they won't get sick. With the latest numbers, the projections by the experts have changed. They are calculating now that by January of next year, COVID-19 deaths could be doubled and they will be combined with the flu season. With the return to classes, a student in this school in Massachusetts was sent to class even after testing positive. Now dozens of classmates are in quarantine. Like, it's just really frustrating. I feel like I'm threatening my family's health. And while the country mourns, many think the deaths could have been avoided with a mask use mandate. It should have been a mandate because so many people think now it's all over. The virus is here to stay. Well, you got to take precautions because you could die like my father. In New York, Fabiola Galindo, U News. In other related news, President Trump will not attend the United Nations General Assembly in person this week. The latest display of how the coronavirus pandemic is upending U.S. diplomacy. The annual meeting that starts today usually draws world leaders to New York for several days, and Trump has often used his address to frame his foreign policy in domestic terms. But this year, because of COVID-19, many world leaders are sending recorded messages instead. It was not immediately clear whether Trump would take part virtually. A woman accused of sending a letter poisoned with rice into the United to the White House was arrested as she tried to enter the U.S. from Canada. According to law enforcement officials on Sunday, the woman was carrying a gun at the time of her arrest. The suspect is believed to have mailed the letter addressed to President Trump from Quebec. Tests confirmed the presence of ricin after it was intercepted by law enforcement at the White House mail screening facility.
More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Tropical storm Beta is eyeing parts of the Lone Star State. Beta has 60 mile per hour winds and could make landfall either late Monday or early Tuesday. A storm surge warning is in effect from Port Aransas, Texas to Cameron Parish, Louisiana. Those areas could see up to four feet of storm surge. Evacuations have been issued for some areas, including Galveston Seawall and Jamaica Beach. People in Seabrook were already seeing the force of Tropical Storm Beta on Sunday as water began to rise. Some have even started to pull down storm shutters just in case. The water in Nassau Bay and Galveston Bay has already covered the road. Areas like Seabrook, Red Bluff and the Bolivar Peninsula in Texas are under a voluntary evacuation. Now to the other weather emergency as fires rage in parts of Colorado. Mandatory evacuations have been ordered. Jorge Hernandez has the latest details. The Cameron Big Fire has been burning since August 13. Today's stiff southwest winds sent the fire racing to the northeast. The fire did make about a 1,500-acre run. I looked out my kitchen window and I saw the smoke. Jerome DeMora had been staying in a cabin near Red Feather Lakes Village. He heard the fire station warning. We did put Crystal Lakes and Red Feathers on mandatory evacuations as well as voluntary evacuations for Glacier View. Demora says this is the second time he's had to evacuate. I was nervous. I was really shaken. What made it different this time? The proximity of the fire and the rate that I saw it grow. He packed his essentials and bugged out. Uh, ice chest, here's my bug out case. Laptop. Outbound traffic began steaming out of the area along Red Feather Lakes Road. Inbound traffic going through a checkpoint. Okay, you got driver's license? Demora wondering what this area would look like once the fire is out. It's, <laughs> I know. it's, a, it's a slice of heaven, man. I walk, I, I go out, I go out and sit on my swing, you know. I can see moose and, and uh, bobcats. That's what I worked my whole life for, you know, and, and uh, to see it in danger. Now he's wondering what else 2020 can throw into his life. This is uh, the stuff I travel with. He plans to spend the night in his SUV. I got okay. a nice bag and a bottle of good scotch. Jorge Hernandez, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.